We're in the book of Proverbs, if you don't know. Uh, been studying through it. Here's what Proverbs is. Proverbs gives you a PhD on life for free. So you can learn through your own mistakes and hard work, or you can learn from somebody else's hard work. And Proverbs gives you a jump start. And I've read Proverbs over and over in preparation for this. And Proverbs really deals with three spheres and they all overlap and there's like a sweet spot in the center of them. And the spheres are number one, relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your boss, your relationship with authority, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your friends, right? Gives you wisdom on that. Sphere number two is warnings, tons of warnings. Warnings about the kind of friends to hang out with the kind of spouses to look for and not get involved with. Uh, warnings on work and slothfulness and foolishness, just tons of warnings. That's the second sphere. And then the third sphere is ambition. How do you lead a successful, flourishing life? How do you use your money? How do you uh, tailor the gifts that God has given you in a way that's godly and pleasing to him? So those are the three spheres, and we've been bouncing around them. So now we're bouncing back to relationship. We did ambition for two weeks, and today we're going to talk about parenting, uh, how to be a wise parent. And you might be saying, I'm old, I don't have kids anymore, or you might be saying, I'm young, and I don't have kids, and I don't plan on having any kids. What does this message have to do with me? The wisdom that Solomon gives for parenting applies to any relationship. Um, if you have friends, every single one of us has that one friend that you have to act like their parent, right? You're always needing to like correct and help and you, you feel like you're their mom, you feel like they're, you're their dad, right? If you're saying, no, I don't have that, it's you then, stop being a child and grow up, okay? So the wisdom Proverb gives for parent-child relationship, most of it can be just as easily applied to your friendships as well. So it's important for anyone, All right? So what has been found is um, for a long time, kids were seen as awesome, but there's been a shift recently where kids have been seen as inconvenient, so let me read for you a quote from a parenting magazine. It says this. All parents know that having kids is a blessing, except when it's a nightmare of screaming fits, diapers, running noses, wars over bedtimes, and homework and clothes. Sounds like COVID-19 stuff. Kids are home. You wish they weren't. To say nothing of the bills too numerous to list. Some economists have argued that having kids is an economically silly investment. <laughs> After all, it's cheaper to hire end-of-life care than to raise a child. Now comes new research showing that having kids is not only financially foolish, but that kids literally make parents delusional. Parents are also angrier and more depressed than non-parents, it goes on to say. 
And each additional child makes them even angrier. I have five kids. That must mean I am constantly angry. (laughs) Couples who chose not to have kids also have better, more satisfying marriages than couples who have kids. It just goes on and on and on. It's funny, right? Economist says it's not wise to have kids financially. I did not have children for a return on an investment. I had children because I was young and dumb. <laughs> All right, so that's modern. Hey, kids, look out, man. It's not gonna, you're not gonna be happy with it. It's been a shift. But the Bible says that children are a blessing from God. So what's happened? What's gone wrong? I, I think two things. First of all, our culture has shifted. Uh, the article, you can Google it. It's one of the most narcissistic, selfish, self-absorbed, meistic articles I've ever read. What's in it for me? Goodness. Is that all that we think about now? How do I make my life easier? How do I make my life? Is that it? I was reading about taxes recently. And your grandparents, my grandparents, during World War II, if they made, and it wasn't that much, if they made a certain amount, their tax bracket was 93%. 93% federal income tax went to the war. And guess what? They didn't complain because they realized this is bigger than me and my comfort, right? Where's that kind of sacrifice anymore? Instead, it's like, what's my return on investment right here? The kids don't seem to be too good at that. Where's that? You lose your life to find it. I think our culture has really moved away from that. And because kids are really a sacrifice, and you better lose your life to find it in childbearing and child raising kids, we've lost that. And then number two, I think our techniques are bad. So many years ago, I got sick and my oldest daughter was sick with the same thing. And we were like shut in and the family's gone. And we, I had my laptop and I was trying to find something to watch. And it was like 10 years ago. So we were Googling shows and trying to find something when this show came up, The Dog Whisperer. And I'd never seen it. I'd never watched it at that point. And my oldest daughter, Carissa, she's a big time animal lover. She's like, dad, what's that? I'm like, nothing. We don't want to watch that. Well, we ended up watching it. And I actually liked it. Like, it was crazy. Um, I don't know if it was rigged or what, but the guy would go into a house and they've got like Cujo, just ripped the leg off somebody and is dragging the leg around. And then he walks in and five seconds later, it's Lassie. I'm like, I don't know about that. That's amazing. But we watched like eight episodes in a row too. Uh, Before Netflix and binge, we were doing it. Um, But they had this tagline on the first year of that show. And it was, there are no bad dogs, just bad owners. They changed that tagline the next year, I noticed, to there's no bad dogs, just bad days. Because I think it was too offensive to bad owners. And when I thought about that, I wondered, could that apply to kids? Like, there's no bad kids, just bad owners. Like, we make decisions in the way that we parent sometimes. Well, it's, it's kind of our mistake, Right? We have bad techniques. Um, we have bad ways of dealing with their issues. And all we do is make the problem worse and worse and worse and worse. So Proverbs comes in and says, Let, let's, wisely, let's wisely raise our kids. So I found this. I thought it was really interesting. This, um, it tells you the four different kind of parenting styles, right? And the first time I saw this thing, I thought, 
It's like a clock to me. Like during the day, I go through all four of these. I wake up, I'm all happy and I'm refreshed and I'm not tired. So I'm a wise parent like in the morning. But as the day goes on, I just start to change from a wise parent to a permissive parent at night. I'm like, I don't care what you do, I am tired. Eat chocolate cake, watch TV, I'm going to bed, right? So I like, (laughs) I spin this circle all the time. Um, But the hope is not to be the first three and we'll look at those. Like, here's what a permissive parent is. A permissive parent is, undemanding and uh, supportive. So here's what they do. They try to be the BFF of their child. They bribe their kids with toys in order to get obedience. Um, They have few chores they ever ask their kids to do, kind of low expectations, no guidelines and lots of hugs, okay? What they found with kids that grow up with permissive parents is here's their tendencies. They tend to lack self-control. They have low self-discipline, low academic scores, and um, they generally kind of are listless. And what I say to that one is, God didn't make you their BFF, God made you their parent. And if you parent wisely, I think you'll end up as their best friend. But if you try to be their best friend and ever parent, they end up resenting you because they know they should have done more. So that's permissive parenting, not good. The next one is neglectful parenting, which is both undemanding and unsupporting. So neglectful are, they're just not involved. They're a biological donor, and then that's about it. They spend a lot of time on their screens now and very little time instructing their kids. And neglectful parents end up with kids that are antisocial or super needy, untrusting, and they tend towards substance abuse. So not a good parenting method. The third one is authoritarian parenting. So they are demanding, but unsupportive. So they have really high expectations for their kids, but they never actually help them achieve what they're asking them to do. Just lots of law, lots of rules, and then no help for them to get up and know like, hey, uh, that was good you did here. It's all you could never kind of match up to what they want. And this was authoritarian parenting. Really, if you look at the 20th century, that was it. That's the way kids were raised. So I'll give you, this is the top leading parenting expert in the 1920s. And James Watson, his ideas echoed through probably our grandparents and parents. So here's what he says, quote, treat children as though they were young adults. Dress them, bathe them with care and circumspection. Let your behavior always be objective and kindly firm. Never hug or kiss them. Never let them sit on your lap. If you must, kiss them once on the forehead when they say goodnight. Shake hands with them in the morning. (laughs) Good morning, son. (laughs) Give them a pat on the head if they've made an extraordinary good job of a difficult task, end quote. I read that, I'm like, that sounds like Darth Vader, not dad. Okay, but that was the way a lot of the last generation was raised. It was very rule-oriented. 
Kids that are raised in an authoritarian parenting, they end up usually defiant of authority because they're resentful, like, They often have problems with abuse, substance abuse. Um, They tend to use alcohol as a way to like, you know, cope with what's happened to them. They're very, uh, they're not resourceful because their whole life they've been told what to do and all their job is to do what exactly it was told them. So then they don't like think through their own things and become resourceful and try to figure out how to do it. And they tend towards bullying because they were bullied and kids do what they do because of what's been done to them. So then they go and bully people. So those are the three bad ones. But then there's this little quadrant that says, you have a wise parent. And a wise parent is both demanding and supportive. And I think if you read Proverbs, it's been saying that for thousands of years. Like, here's how you do it. And you get both sides of these, the demanding side and the supportive side in Proverbs. And I have no way to get through everything that's in Proverbs. I'm gonna give you a sampling of the verses that talk about both these. So first of all, we're gonna do demanding. Good parents are demanding. Look at Proverbs 22, verse six. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. That's a COVID-19 one. Discipline your kid and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Then Proverbs 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I just want you to think about that last one for a second. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. There's an idea and it's floated around that kids were born right in the beginning right? They have all this potential. They're just like a seed. You just plant them in soil and you water them and they'll grow up exactly like they're supposed to be. I dare someone to try that with a child. That they're just, hey, they're good. You just you know, gotta love them and be supportive of them and change their diapers when they mess them, when they spit up on you, it's all okay, right? Their babies are cute. And you can do all that for a baby and guess what a baby's first word is? No. Guess what their second word is? Mine. And some babies never grow out of that. They just become big babies. No, mine. (laughs) If you don't believe your little baby is a sinner, let him play in a sandbox with other kids. I've got three right now under six at my house and we have this sandbox and it is just classic to watch them play in a sandbox together. You know kids are a sinner when they play in the sandbox because one of them will be like, this needs to go, this needs to go in your eye. No, this needs to go in your ear. No, this needs to go down your pants. No, you need to eat this right now, right? That takes like 10 seconds in a sandbox. You realize folly is bound up in the heart of a child, right? That we're supposed to help them. We're supposed to do this. My job as a parent is mandated by Proverbs 22, 15. Kids are not goldfish, born to swim day one. All their potential is there. No, we need to train them. And we have this weird idea today that kids are supposed to figure out important things on their own. Like kids are supposed to figure out today now if they're a boy or a girl. I just say, are you kidding me? Folly is bound up 
in the heart of a child. What, where else would we do something like that? Like my room, my six-year-old. Hey, dad, um, can I borrow your chainsaw? Well, son, you just need to figure that out for yourself. Hey, dad, could I jump off the top of the house? Well, what's the brain chemistry in your, in your noggin telling you to do, son? Do whatever it tells you to say. No way, right? I'm gonna shape him and help him, right? Dad, could I borrow your shotgun? Well, what do you think about that, son? No, because folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And I get to train them. I get to be demanding of him. The other side is this, like, let science do it. Science is so limited. Science cannot tell you and me that racism is wrong. Do you know that? There's no science to that. But as a parent, I can certainly tell my kid that. I can certainly shape that. I, I, that that's me. I get to do that, okay? Science can't tell your child that bullying is wrong. But I can certainly do that for my child because I get to train him up. As parents, we're supposed to train we're supposed to be training our kids on their worldview. Like, what, what, what is this thing that we've been given? What is all this? Was it, did it just come here? What's their worldview? Am I shaping the way that they see the world? I get to shape, like, why are we here? Why, 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 son, why, daughter, do you exist? Why are you here? What's a good goal? What does it mean to flourish as a human being? Are we training our kids to be godly? So I have a six-year-old Myron. When I put him down, I'll read to him and then I pray for him. And this is how I pray. My prayers, probably every prayer sounds almost exactly the same because I want to drill this into his head. And my prayer is this, Father, help me. Help Elijah, his older brother. Help Myron. Help us grow up to be godly. Helping people, not hurting them. Help us to be men who give and who do not take. Help us to always live for your kingdom, to love people, to be here, to be used. Amen. And I've said that prayer hundreds of times to Myron because I want him to have that perspective. I want to be godly, okay? Kids, they, they have to be told how to see someone else's perspective because they can't get it on their own. They have to be told how to share their toys and share their stuff because they can't get it on their own, right? And when a parent does not do that, here's what happens. I'll be real graphic here. You raise a turd and you release him on the world and his life stinks and it stinks for everybody else. So Proverbs is important for community, for other people as well, because we want to raise people up and raise kids up that are beautiful. And where they go, it's a sweet aroma and people want them to be around. So we're supposed to be demanding, training. How about this one? This one, you probably heard this proverb. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him Diligent to discipline. Spare the rod, spoil the child. I was raised with that one. I can tell you stories. So what does it mean? I talked to this dad once and he had this saying and he raised really good kids. But it was a saying that, man, when he said it, you would be like, oh my, is that legal? So you'd say, Dude, what was your secret, man? Your kids are awesome. What was your secret to raising your kids? This is his answer. He would say, I beat the hell out of them. Now you're like, ah, 
Um, I think the CDC is coming to your house tonight, man. <laughs> and I get what he's saying, right? Folly, I, I got it out of them. But, but is that what this text is saying, right? Well, it's really important to sometimes dig a little into the language of the Bible, which is Hebrew. So if you look at this verse, the Hebrew words for rod and discipline are very interesting. The Hebrew word for discipline is mukar. It literally means to coach. You, you need to be coaching your child. And the word for rod is shebet. And it, 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 the most often translation of shebet, overwhelmingly, like 65% of the time, is translated tribe, the 12 shebets of Israel, tribe. It can also be translated rod or authority or judge or correction. I think that's really important. So the rod has this latitude to it. It can mean rod. It can mean corporal punishment, but it doesn't necessarily mean corporal punishment. It's really saying, I think the reason why it's such a broad word is God is saying, use the best tool you can for that child in those circumstances to coach them to their best ending, right? Because your kids are different. I have five kids. One of my kids has a titanium will, like just unbending strong will. And I came up face to face with it years ago. I, um, she, she was in trouble. I had come home. I needed to deal with it. So I said, you know what? Um, here's the deal. You're just gonna have to stay in your room. She's like, good. I like it in my room. I'm like, oh yeah? Well, why? She goes, I'm gonna stay up here. I'm gonna read books all the time. I'm gonna love it. I said, then I'm taking away all your books. Good. Then I'm just gonna stay in my room and sleep. I said, well, then I'm taking away your bed. Good, because then I don't have to make my bed anymore. I'm like, ah! I said, well, I'm taking away your birthday. Good, I'll never grow old and you have to take care of me my whole life. I'm like, ah, who is a child, right? It didn't matter what I did with her. She was happy, right? Iron will. And then I have another child. If I just look at her, she melts. That's what it's saying. Your, your job is to coach your kids in these really important things in life. And you've got latitude in the tool that you decide to use. That's what that verse is saying. It's keeping the goal in end. I want to raise a godly, flourishing child. And I've got all these tools. I'm going to choose the right one in the right circumstance to help them. Part of being a demanding parent, is you're gonna have to repeat yourself. Like Proverbs, how many times has Proverbs said the same thing over and over? You can just read every chapter and there's one on parenting, just a little bit different, like 30 or 40 of them are on just parenting. But, and they're all saying the same thing, be demanding and supportive, right? But it's saying all the different ways possible because you need repetition. And I'll tell you, here's one of the best ways that you can get repetition for what you believe is good. And it's this. So Proverbs 15.10 says this. Here's a great proverb. There is a severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. As a parent, it's super hard to do that verse. Here's why. We see our kid. We see the emotional things that they're going through, maybe a, a drama with a 
friend or drama with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Uh, we see the homework that they have to do. We see the pressure. And so what that does as a parent is we, we want to be less demanding and more supportive than in that moment. It's almost like you need at that point somebody outside of you that provides a severe discipline. And here's what I found. You know who does that really well? A soccer coach. Somebody involved in your kid's life that also doesn't have that side of the story and just has rules. If you don't practice, you don't play in the game, period. You actually need that. You need that severe discipline from them because the coach knows every kid's going through this, to be honest, at some point. And if you don't come to practice, you don't play. It's that simple. I love that. So I had this story of this college administrator, big time person in this college town. Everybody knew him, has this daughter, and this daughter, because of the dad's position, had all this privilege. People just let her get away with stuff. And as the child grew up, she had a real problem getting anywhere on time. She would sleep in late for classes. She'd be late for appointments. She was late all the time. But everyone knew dad, and so they gave her more latitude. And dad was like, at the end of himself, he'd have these lectures to her and, hey, it's selfish of you. You're wasting their time. It's unfair. You're disruptive. You have to get places on time. It didn't matter what he said. The daughter would never do it. And then she got a job at American Eagle. And American Eagle, during the orientation, said to her, if you are late one time, you're fired. American Eagle has a zero tolerance policy on lateness. All of a sudden, the daughter made it on time. All of a sudden, for two years straight, she was never once late for her job. And that college administrator, he wrote this, and I love it. He said, consequences have more power than lectures. Sometimes you need a severe discipline. I think it's actually a good idea to have your children involved in something extracurricular outside of your own influence with a good coach. Man, if it's a bad coach, it's not a good situation. But with a good coach who just says, this is the way it is. You wanna play, you practice. If you wanna be here, you do this. Because then it repeats with a severe discipline to your son, to your daughter, the important things that you've already been talking about or a job, whatever it is. It's somebody else who is echoing what you're saying, your demands, and does it in a severe way without all your empathy in there. So I am a firm believer in having your kids involved. And we have a policy. If you start something, you can't quit. You have to finish it. I don't care if halfway through the season, it is terrible and you hate everybody on the team. And I don't care. Finish it. You don't have to do it next year, but you're going to finish what you start because you need that severe discipline coming from someone other than me, right? So that's the demanding side. Quickly, we'll do the supportive side. So if you look at Proverbs, the dad of Proverbs is this. He is pleading, he is loving, he is guiding his son. And and listen to this verse. It's got both in it. It's Proverbs 3, verse 12. For Yahweh reproves him who he loves, demanding as a father in the son whom he delights. Supporting. I love that. I think it's easier to demand than to support. It's easier to have rules and like, you're not following the rules, you're not doing this. And I think parents very often 
and I struggle with this, I am probably more demanding than I am supportive and I have to really check my heart because I need to delight in my kids too. It's easy to see what your kids are doing wrong, right? Because it affects you and then you have to deal with it. It actually takes practice and discipline to delight and delight means this. Oh, you did this right. Oh, I love that you did that. I think parents should always be delighting and occasionally being disciplining. And often we flip those two. And so your kids end up always feeling like they didn't quite measure up. We should be saying to our kids often, and I don't say this enough to my kids, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I delight in you. I wanna be around you, right? I love being with you. And part of delighting is having fun. Like making a note to yourself, write it down, whatever. I've written it down, literally, have fun. How am I gonna have fun with my kids today? How am I gonna delight in them today? And it changes. So like one of my fondest memories is many years ago, a decade ago, I got off work on a Tuesday a little bit early, like at about 3.30. I ran home. I put all this wood in the back of my truck, took all of our snow gear, put it in my truck, grabbed my four kids at that time, gave my wife the evening off and took my kids up to the top of Onion Mountain. And we went sledding until it got dark. And then we built a fire. And I'm not talking a campfire. I'm talking a pagan bonfire you could see from the space station. It was awesome. And we made uh, s'mores and hot dogs and uh, just great time. Melted three pairs of shoes and a couple of jackets. Brilliant, right? I love that stuff. Packed up, came home. My kids, I love that. It was so much fun, dad. The only problem is, while I love that kind of stuff, my kids have kind of grown out of that. And so I had to look at my kids and say, well, what do they love to do now? Well, they love to go snowboarding. So we bought a bunch of snowboarding gear and we, we've been going snowboarding more. And my kids love going to the lake in the summer with a boat. So I got on Craigslist and found this boat that a tree had fallen on and put a bunch of holes in it. And we patched it up and we take it to the lake now. Just took it on Tuesday and Thursday. So I have to say, delighting in my kids means I love being with you. And what do you love doing? Because I wanna be involved in your life. And I'll change what I love to do because I love being with you and I delight in you. So it's delighting. It's also this. Listen to Proverbs 15.31. This is a great proverb. The ear who listens. So delight is supporting. Listening is supporting. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. You listen to your kids. And here's a mistake I've made. I've been like, we're not talking about that anymore. I'm trying not to do that anymore. Because what that does is it shuts down a conversation that allows me to continue to coach and continue to talk and it just shuts it down. And so I, I try not to do that anymore, right? I, I need to say, you know what? Let's keep talking about this. Sometimes you need to say, hey, we're not good right now. We're all kind of crazy. So we're gonna take a time out on this and we'll talk about it next week or in a couple of days and, and just give some time. I think as dads, especially, you need to ask good questions. And sometimes you need to grab your teenager and sit them down and have a good meal with them and just say, I, I want an open conversation with you. I want to listen to reproof if I need to. Have I done something to hurt you? 
Have I said words that have wounded you? And don't defend yourself at that point. Listen to reproof because it'll make you wise. Yeah, dad, you're really demanding of me and you weren't very supportive of me. You're always telling me the things I did wrong and never telling me the things that I did right. And if you need to, you apologize right then and there. You listen to that reproof and say, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't want that. Okay, so you delight, you listen, and then you be consistent. That's a support, that's a wise parent. Wise parents are consistent. And here's how they're consistent. Solomon, who writes most of the Proverbs, he had great words, but a foolish life. He had foolish ways, if you know him. So he writes Proverbs to give wisdom to his son, right? But his son ends up a fool. Rehoboam is a fool. Why? Because this may be shocking to new parents, to new dads. Your kids won't always obey what you say, but they'll follow your ways. So Solomon had great wise words and we can learn from them, but his ways were just totally off. Married a thousand women, right? Just not, not a very wise thing to do. His ways were not wise. And his son Rehoboam didn't listen to his words, but followed his ways. Got to be very careful. And we need to say to ourselves over and over, am I being consistent? So here's the analogy that I've never forgot. It's from a book called Boys by William Busey. He says this, here's what parents are. Parents are like the ski boat. And the ski boat's going, and the, the kids are like the skier on the back of the ski boat. And, and the, the kids are always looking for rougher water, right? They're going to stray. They're going to go out to the left and go out to the right. And they're going to try things. And they're going to do stuff. You're like, I wouldn't advise doing that. I don't know why you're doing that. They're going to look for rougher waters. So they're going to do that. So what should the ski boat do? Should it turn the same way and go into rough waters with the skier? No, it'll cause them to wreck. What does the ski boat do? It keeps going in the right direction. A consistent right direction. And that is the, the gravity. That's the force that's pulling your child, your son, your daughter back into the right way. It's what they'll remember. They'll remember your ways when they're 18, 24, 36, a lot more than they'll re- remember your words. How did my dad actually live, right? H- what was his priorities in life? What was the course that he set out? How did he do this stuff? That's, that's what's gonna stick. Jesus came and said, follow me, right? Follow me. Yeah, listen to him. Yeah, learn from him, no doubt. But Jesus said, follow me. So a supportive parent knows this. My job is to stay the course. Doesn't mean you're perfect. James 3 says, if you're perfect in your words, if you can just control your tongue, man, you've arrived. We all make those mistakes, but wise parents that are demanding and supportive know this, I gotta be consistent. I just gotta stay the course where I'm supposed to be going. And when you don't, you apologize. And I'll tell this, as a parent, and I say this all the time, parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Harder than engineering, harder than going to school, harder than going to seminary. There's nothing that I've ever got involved in as difficult as parenting. You outsource all of your joy to these little creatures that based on how their day is, gives me a good day or a bad day. Like, and you know what? That's the way it's gonna be for the rest of my life because you never stop being a dad or a mom. And it's hard and we need help. In order for me to be the demanding, supportive, 
wise parent that I desire to be, I know this more and more. I need God's help. I need prayer. I need his spirit. In order for me to be consistent, I gotta say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit today. Help me to respond in ways that are full of your spirit with love and joy and peace and long suffering. I need to hear from him throughout the day. Delight in your son, delight in your daughter today. I need that help. And so we get to go to the table and take communion. And I'm just gonna give us dads and moms a moment to reflect and say, help me. I wanna be good at this thing. There's gonna be no greater joy in my life than the path that my children choose because I've outsourced my joy to them. So help me to be that wise, both demanding, supporting parent that my kids need today. So I'm gonna grab communion. You can grab it as well and we'll take it together. Father, I pray for the Edgewater body. Those that have children. I pray that our example would be from you. You had two kids, Adam and Eve that went south and you dealt so graciously and kindly with them. Help us in that, Father. Fill the moms and dads of Edgewater Christian Fellowship today with your spirit, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of knowledge, grace, and truth. May we be quick to listen to our children confessing our own faults living on your grace as well. So may we eat strength today from you. Taking part in you, your majesty, your glory, your grace, your truth, to be conduits to our kids. Let's take and eat together. For the cup, forgive us where we failed. Fill in for us, Lord, where we have fallen short with our children. Repair even today, Lord. The brokenness that may have occurred between moms and daughters, dads and sons, repair that by your spirit. Heal up those wounds. Bind them up by the power of your blood. Restore good relationships, we ask. Help us as parents to be quick to ask for forgiveness. Not full of pride, but full of humility. Knowing that, God, you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We wanna be humble dads and moms, receiving your grace over our children. And so we pray for our kids now. 
We pray for your blessing and your protection and your power and your glory to be shown through them. We pray that they would stand upon our shoulders and do things that are exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think for your name and for your glory. We pray that for our children. And so we drink, have the cup together. Amen. God bless you guys.